Hello, welcome to the next level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller of The Bulwark. And Tim is having a day. So this show is gonna be a wild ride. Let's go do it. Uh, in the meantime, hit the subscribe button, hit the thumbs up, give us five stars, leave a review, all those things. The things are good. And then go to thebulwark.com and sign up to get all the great stuff we do there. Cause I don't wanna, you know what? I'll just say it. I have been on fire for weeks now. And uh, the, the you know when we did this show last week, I was getting a talking to about how I did not understand the way of the world and that these congressmen act out of peak and they just don't want to stay in town on a Thursday night. And I said, I don't know. I have done my game theory matrix analysis of this, and I believe that Kevin McCarthy is likely to be speaker. Were you getting a talking to? I don't, I don't, I don't recall you getting a talking to. I think that we had a disagreement about the the likelihood of the scenarios but i don't i don't remember lambasting you sarah say it say the catchphrase no, i i also didn't lambast you and i did talk about the fact that physically sitting there becomes a thing and it did and it helped kevin mccarthy secure the speakership but jvl you are occasionally right and this is one of those occasions congratulations to you on being correct that kevin mccarthy would eventually make it happen he did Thank you. And we're happy for him? Is that where we landed? I mean, we're happy for me. That's that's the, <laughs> the key point of this is we're happy for me because I got to take a victory lap on this. I will say, did you see the pictures of Kevin McCarthy standing under the wooden sign with his name and pointing at it like, like goofy or something? And I thought to myself, aren't you supposed to act like you've been there or something? Like It was a very weird meta moment where it was like, yup, I'm the guy who's always been desperate to be speaker and I got it, look. I don't know if you saw this video. I'm glad you mentioned this, JVL, because I thought I was the only one to notice this. And, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm just being a little too hard on old Kevin on Twitter, et cetera. That, you know, I've got Kevin derangement syndrome or whatever and that I need to dial it back. So I didn't tweet about this. But uh, in that same video where he's pointing up, one thing I noticed is he... he he points up for the professional cameras, like the cameraman, mm -hmm. CNN, AP, whoever is there. And then he takes his phone out of his pocket and he goes and hands it to maybe a staffer, <laughs> maybe one of the reporters, and then has them take a picture from his phone of him pointing up at the thing. So, like, I guess he can have it on his own device. I, I felt like that was a little tacky. I don't know. I mean, Jeb, we make fun of Jeb for kindly requesting that the audience clap <laughs> for a joke that he made for like seven years now. And uh, I, it seems equally desperate, at least, at least at minimum, equally desperate to like want people to get photos of you pointing up at your sign. I hate to break this to you, but Kevin got the thing he wanted. Jeff yeah. did not. Well, and, and here's the thing. Whatever us cucks and naysayers and liberal media <laughs> traders say, he's got it for forever. There is a page on, on the congress.gov and in Wikipedia with the names of all of the speakers of the House of this republic of ours. And Kevbo's name is etched in there for history. It's like winning the Super Bowl. They can never take it away from him. That's true. But so Liz Truss, Liz Truss, too, was prime minister. And she'll go down as what the prime minister that lasted the least amount of time. Kevin is speaker until one of these clowns does the motion to vacate and wins it. Yeah. Also, I guess I just 
in the broad scope of history, you know, it's amazing how much things get forgotten. One of my observations during the whole speaker drama was how few speakers I, I know. And I'm like, you know, in politics, right? When you're going down the list of the guys who had the longest votes, and you had like Paul Gillette and Bob Crockett or whatever from the 1800s, and you're looking at those names. Jedediah and, Springfield. Yeah. yeah, and it was just like, so I get, you know, I don't know. And I guess in theory, Bob Gillette's great-great-grandson can go to the Capitol and point up at the thing, you know, and they can then tell their kid who's in second grade on a tour of the Capitol, be like, that's great-great-granddaddy Paul. He was the speaker there. And then the kid's like picking his nose, wondering when he can go to the gift shop to get a Paw Patrol. I, I mean, I guess there's something to it, but it's not like president, speaker of the house. <laughs> It's second in line to the presidency. Yeah, he's second in line. I don't think we should. I don't think we need. I mean, how, to many, down how many speakers play can you know? have a competition? Live competition. How many speakers <laughs> can you name in history? I don't think I could name more than five. Trent Lott. Did Trent Lott the speaker? Trent Lott was a senator. Senator, 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 senator <laughs> leader. Sarah's okay. off. Sarah, you're what? you're okay. lost. Newt Gingrich. Jim Wright. Uh, Newt Gingrich. Denny Hastert. Paul Ryan. John Boehner. Paul Ryan, uh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, oh, the Democrats too. Who do we have back in the? There was a Democrat who was defeated. Was Hastert speaker, ever a right? Speaker? He mentioned Hastert, but is, is that like one of those national championships that gets stripped from you after it comes out that you're a pedophile? Like you get the <laughs> title stripped from you? He's like the John Calipari of speakers. Tip O'Neill, you didn't mention, but can we Tip, name oh, Tip yeah, O'Neill. the tipster. But there was another, like after Jim Wright, there was an, there was another, or after Tip O'Neill, another Democratic speaker who lost a re-election fight. I'm, I'm forgetting. Has Nancy who it Pelosi is. been speaker since Tip O'Neill? No, yes. no. <laughs> what do you mean? No. Tip, Tip O'Neill was a million years ago. You know all those Republicans in between. Nate, the first Democrat. No, I'm saying Democrat. Yeah, Democrat. That's what there I meant. Was Conrad Muhlenberg. Everybody remembers Connie. He was the oh, first speaker old, of the house. Old the mule, as we called him. <laughs> okay, yeah. I just, I don't think we need to self-soothe. Did I win this competition no, too? No, no, no. <laughs> I don't think we need to self-soothe on Kevin. Kevin got the speakership. We did doubt that there was a path for him last week. We were drinking from the cup of schadenfreude, but he eked it out. He got it. And I think now we're deep enough in this news cycle. Everybody was so focused on this that I'm not sure it like does that much to talk about why it happened. But I do think... One of the things that struck me about the whole thing was like, one of the reasons that last week's episode was so fun and talking about with Kevin McCarthy is like, the stakes on who was speaker were so low. Like, you got to just revel in the idea that like all the bad people were fighting with each other. But now the bad people seem to have made up. And I actually wonder, and I would like to know, there's been like everybody post game is like, well, Kevin's life is going to be much more miserable. I've said this on TV, you know, one person can do motion to vacate. There's all these rules problems. Big fights are coming, right? The stakes were low for speaker. Stakes are really high when it comes to funding Ukraine, when it comes to the debt limit. But like, is the fact that they had a knockdown drag out and had to and pulled those guys along and put them in their place? Because Matt Gates did kind of look like he got put in his place through the fisticuffs and all that stuff. Do you think that actually they're less likely to try another one of those, at least in the near term, because of how bad that fight was? Like, is it actually, does it actually create less strife against all of our prognostications that now it's going to be nothing but strife? I'd be interested in JBL's take. Nobody mentioned Henry Clay, by the way, which Ooh, was kind right. of the easy call for before Tim O'Neill. Oh my God, are you still Langdon. talking about speakers? Who cares? No. Old Hickory. 
I'd like to shout out yeah. Langdon Chevis as well. Um, boy, we have a big fan of Chevis lingo. I don't know. I wonder, I'd like to hear from Chevis after this. I wonder if he was named after Langdon Chevis. I, I, I think that Kevin gets a little bit of a, a bump, a honeymoon, if you will, within his caucus. I do think that. How long does that last? I mean, a minute, I think. I, I just, I, I think that, that he has a little bit of runway here. The big things that we keep pointing to, that all of us keep pointing to as potential threats, the debt ceiling, Ukraine funding, that's all middle of the year stuff, right? Yes. And the yeah. debt limit, I think, is summer. Uh, Ukraine is funded through September. Uh, uh, emergency could happen between now and then, right? But assuming there's not an emergency, I, I do think he gets a little bit of runway. I think there are some easy wins. You know, we can dial up a investigation of Alejandro Mayorkas, you know, and, and hold a hearing down in El Paso and, you know, fly everybody down there to investigate. Uh, you know, I think that there's certain things that can be done that unite the caucus. Apparently, giving Jim Jordan complete control over the budget unites the conference. There's only one one person that voted against that. Tony Gonzalez, uh, Dan Crenshaw kind of, I think, was sucking his thumb and abstained, even though he was in the building because he was upset that the terrorists won. But um, that only one actual no vote. So I think there are a lot of things that unite them. So I do think that there will be kind of like a false spring, if you will, for him for a little bit here. But eventually, you know, I think that the predictions will come, you know, what we expect, I think, will probably come to pass, um, you know, at some stage. That's almost word for word what I was going to say, which is that we have a period now of like six to seven months where they don't have to do anything serious. They can do all the grandstanding and showboating that they want. Uh, they can have their Hunter Biden investigations, their investigations of the Joe Biden VP document scandal in which Joe Biden had some classified documents in his vice presidential sort of vice presidential library or whatever that, that is. Center that his lawyers found and then immediately called the the National Archives and the National Archives came and took possession of the next morning and how that's basically samesies. You know, that's and you people want to go after Donald Trump. That's actually I mean, it sounds silly when you say it that way, but I think it's going to make the prosecution of Trump harder. Uh, totally. They're going to have their church committee, right? They've got a church committee coming where they're going to look at all of the 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 FBI, deep state, et cetera, et cetera, January 6th committee. So they can do all this stuff and they can stay out of each other's lanes while they do it. They don't have to work together. And so everybody can get what they want out of the next six or seven months without coming into any, into conflict with one another. And it's only those those big votes which are going to be difficult. Yeah, you know, I was doing Meet the Press Daily with Chuck Todd. And Chuck Todd asked me the question. He's like, well, doesn't this diffuse the impeachment bombs? Because, you know, Beacon's not going to go for impeachment or whatever. And I was like, I don't know. Like, they're still going to impeach. They're still going to try to do investigations. Or maybe he said investigation bombs, not impeachment bombs. But in either case, I don't think any member of this so-called normal caucus or like the moderates, which by the way, let's just take a minute and talk about how bad the framing has been on this particular thing. It's making me crazy. It's not the governing wing. It's not the moderates. There are some governing people 
there are a few of them among the Republicans. But what you are talking about is the MAGA establishment. You were talking about Kevin McCarthy, election denier, Marjorie Taylor Greene, lunatic, a whole bunch of other people who refuse to certify the election. Like it is the difference between the people who want to launch a bunch of performative investigations and the people who want to burn it all down. There is no governing wing and there are there's no moderate wing. Like I said, there are a few moderate people. And because of the narrow majority, you could maybe see some of them not going for certain things like big ticket impeachment, but like they'll get on board with the investigations because the overall, the caucus over the last however many cycles has gotten wildly more extreme, right? It is still a very extreme, yeah. it's an extreme caucus right now. I've also been riled up about this and had a little rant prepared on this topic. Oh, I hope I didn't, hope I didn't. No, 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 no it's very that. similar. It actually, we're all, we're all in alignment today. It's nice to all be in alignment. We got to come up with some disagreements before our very exciting road trip together next week, which I've also been, unfortunately, we didn't get to mention that at the top because I was so annoyed about the fact that I couldn't find my fucking headphones and I wanted to strangle some people on a school tour this morning. But besides that, uh, I do want to talk about how excited I am to be in LA and Seattle. So we got to we got awesome. to come up with some disagree. We got to focus on the areas of tension that for, before between now and then. But here's an agreement: not only are there no moderates and, and no governing you know, wing of this conference, like the center of the conference is like the extreme mega candidates that everybody's talking about how bad they were in the Senate races, right? Like. I'm trying to think about like who would be a representative example of this because like Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker were so weird, you know. But like Blake uh, Masters, Tim Michaels in Wisconsin, the guy, like, Tim Michaels would be just right in the meaty center of this conference. Yeah. We got lost right. that Wisconsin governor's race. Um, you know, people talk about and JVL mentioned this in the triad, and it's something I've been thinking about because I get this all the time from my you know still hanging on Republican friends. But how the left has gotten so crazy too. The Democrats are getting so crazy and and. You know, you ask them, it's like, okay, well, what, what are you talking about? And and they always bring up the same names if we're in politics, right? It's Cory Bush, Rashida Tlaib, AOC. We can all name them. Anna Presley, there's six. Um, By the way, stipulated. 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 There's six. But Bernie Sanders, okay, there's six, all right? But then if you just kind of like pick a random Democrat out of the air, like you just put them all in a pot and like, like a little big bowl and you just magically like pull one up by their troll hair and just say, hey, I'd like to speak to you. Like you get a person who's kind of like a human most of the time, like somewhere in the middle of the, you know, you get a Jason Crow in Colorado. You just get somebody who's just like a guy or a lady, you know, a smart person. Um, the Republican side, like before this week, Sarah, had you ever even heard of Mark Green or Jason Smith? I did not hear of Mark Green. I'm I'm so glad to know of him now, though. Yeah. So Mark Green and Jason Smith. This isn't like the Marjorie Taylor Green, the Lauren Boebert, like the names you hear when you talk about the crazy party. These are just some guys in the middle of the conference. They both won competitive <laughs> committee seats because just like the speakers race, all these committee chairmanships had like little clusterfucks. So Dan Crenshaw, you know, gets gets the boot. Sorry, Dan. Because um, he was too mean to the, you know, calling him terrorists, too mean to the MAGA crowd. He gets the boot from the Homeland Security Committee that he was due. And instead it goes to this guy, Mark Green from Tennessee. Mark Green is concerned about transvestites in the military. He likes to use the word transvestite. Mm. It's a key key term that he uses. Uh, Obama, Muslim, non-citizen. Obama's a non-citizen. He was deeply concerned about the bathrooms. Just asking questions. Yeah, I mean, this dude is a lunatic. Like, this guy would have just been laughed out of one of these swing state Senate races, right? He's now the head of the Homeland Security Committee. You know, then we get Adrian Smith, 
who's like a like on the normalish end of the Republican caucus, he gets booted out of the Ways and Means in favor of Jason Smith, election denier, likes to call women females for some reason. Probably because he respects them so much. Yeah, voted against the election, right? So like this is now this is the Ways and Means chair. Is, is someone that voted, to, and the speaker, is someone that voted to overturn the election. Like, that's just the dead center of the conference is these people that are lunatics. And, and, I, and I think that is a meaningful difference. In addition to the fact that when you start trying to get to five, and I was texting with some Dem House people, moderate Dem House people, and they were hopeful, God love them, that they would get to five on the rules. And I was just like, are you guys talking to the people on the other side? I was hopeful that they were right and I was wrong. And that there were these secret normies out there who are going to come forward. So I was like, I don't think they exist. We all say the same names. Don Bacon, that's Patrick, right? Now this Tony Gonzalez. The guy, two impeachers that are left. Right. Like this guy Lawler seems pretty normal out of New York, right? We all say the same people. That's six. So you have to get all of them. They end up only getting one. They get one, right? To vote against this rules package that lets Jim Jordan negotiate you know, the full faith and credit of the United States. I, 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 that's just the reality of where things are. And I think that commentators like your friend Chuck Todd are just a little slow to like recognize the churn that has happened in the House because the more familiar names in the Senate, this churn has been slower in the Senate, right? It's a six-year term. You know, you got your Susans and your Mitts and stuff still in there. The churn is slower. Like the churn has happened. I got to disagree with you there. Here, point of disagreement, Timothy. Thank I love that. I think that the media has a very difficult time getting itself to accurately characterize what the median House Republican conference member is these days because it's too crazy. And to say it makes it sound like you're an activist. Right. Right. Yeah. This is because the truth is the two conferences are mirror images of one another. When the Democratic side, you can name the 11 crazies. And on the Republican yes. side, you can name the 11 normies. Right. I mean, that's like that's <laughs> and, you know, like that's not how both sides journalism works. Right. I mean, both sides journalism just sort of takes everything as given. Like you have a dispute. You have some people who want to raise the debt ceiling and some people who don't. And we let both sides have their say in our reported piece. And that's <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't want to sound like Jay Rosen or anything, but that's that's a problem for accurately characterizing reality. Yeah, I mean, there are some more Republicans than the ones we've... I mean, the problem is, is like the Nancy Mace or Gallagher or or Crenshaw. Like, there actually are these people. But what we know about these people is that... And I think it's it was part of our, our schadenfreude soup, right? Which is, you guys have tolerated this. Like, Dan Crenshaw, are you sad now? Are you sad that you've made excuses for Donald <laughs> Trump and you've, you know, talked about how the Democrats are always worse and and uh, it's definitely not a problem with your own caucus? And are you upset now that so many of these people are crazy? Nancy Mace, are you upset that these guys are immediately going to come out and talk about banning abortion? Like, I was listening to her talk about she was a, a victim of sexual assault herself. She wants the exceptions for rape and incest life of a mother, thinks it's crazy. She's like, did you guys not see what happened in the midterms? I'm like, oh, well... Don't you sound normal, Nancy Mace? But then I remember that it was so recently that when she took some criticism in her primary, she ran to Trump Tower to take <laughs> selfie videos in front of Trump Tower, announcing how Donald Trump was the greatest, uh, so we wouldn't be too mad at her. And so, like, they they would be normal if the environment allowed them to be normal, but because they're like human weather vanes and the wind has been blowing the other direction, they only sound normal sometimes. 
I agree. And to that extent, there's probably, if you include the secret normals, you can get up to like 60. But still, in a 218-person conference, the dead center of it right. is like Jason Smith, who like voted yeah. against the election. No, I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, okay. no, I don't want to overstate it. Fair. So here's one thing just though, really quick about the Nancy Maces of the world and, and, and how they're in a little bit of a political pickle. In, in the same way that Biden was. Now, Biden navigated this. But, you know, there, there was some argument, I think, it turned out to work out for him because Manchin played ball. I think more than people thought might not end up working out for Manchin in two years. But like you could have made an argument that Biden would have been better off politically the last two years to have had a 51-49 Senate, right? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't have been as much pressure. You know, from the left had a lot of excuses. You know what I mean? Like now you got to do this sort of thing. There's like this inverse issue that now the Republicans, that Republicans like Nancy Mace have in the House, where like they might have been better off having a two-person Nancy Pelosi majority because then you know, on bills that are already going to pass, you know, the gay marriage bill, you know, you get 50, whatever it was, 47 Republicans, right? Um, which is a pretty good thumbnail sketch of who the closet normals are, right? Like on something like that, you get whatever it was, 47. So you can vote for that because it's like, well, you know, no real risk here. You know, in my district, this is going to be popular. I can do this. All right. Now the problem is you can't do that with Kevin in charge because Kevin cannot pass a bill that is just Nancy Mace and Dan Crenshaw and the six regulars plus 200, 212 Democrats, right. right? Because now he'd cut this deal where they'll throw him overboard, right? So now it makes it a lot harder for these people, the Nancy Maces of the world, to like get, just get separation from the crazy caucus. They all have been lockstep with them. Like in order to get separation now, rather than picking a few friendly issues to side with Democrats on, they have to tell Republicans, no, sorry, I'm going to vote against you on that one. And and then and then you start to, be, and then you become Dan. You know, you, you get put in the corner. People don't like you. Fox makes fun of you. You're voting to abstain. You know, you're sad about things. And so there's not going to be a ton of opportunity for, for those 15 Biden district Republicans to get distance in this uh next two years. I had a question for the two of you. Do you have any guesses as to what the Republican majority is going to want to do vis-a-vis -vis abortion? They've got a bunch of show votes scheduled. I think of the first 12, 12 votes, three of them are going to be about abortion. Uh, Ross Douthat, we'll talk about this later, thinks that it's entirely possible they're going to vote to really expand help for families <laughs> and for mothers as part of their pro-life package. I got to say, I'm a little skeptical that that's where their head's at. But on the other hand, there is a huge expectation among the Republican base that they're going to go out there fighting. And I don't know, like this is the, the one place where before we get to those three big votes, McCarthy, I think, has a danger moment where he has to figure out how does he keep the conference from taking a vote that's going to like absolutely crush the party two years from now versus like keeping some of his people who are in R plus 40 districts happy. Yeah, I mean, we saw this with Lindsey Graham, right, last time, you know, where they went, you know, you get, you, you're going to get somebody that's going to get out ahead and want to vote on a, a, a federal ban, you know, at some level. The Republicans in the past, you know, have been more adept at pointless message votes than Democrats have been. Uh, Democrats did a little bit better at that at the end of the last cycle uh, or the end of the last two years going into the midterms. And so, you know, I do think that they'll probably do some third term bans, some stuff of that nature. But again, with such a narrow majority, only a small group of people will be able to put a lot of pressure, you know, on McCarthy to want to want to go further and push the envelope on it. 
So I think what it's safe to say is that they're not going to do kind of like something that they think might get some damn votes, you know, maybe a package right. that uh, bans partial birth abortion, but also gives help for moms and like, you know, something that might be able to get some Senate. Like that's not where. No, I don't think they can do that. I, I don't think no. the base would let them do something like that. I think they want like real restrictions. They want to fight. Right. Yeah, this is, I mean, this to me is just Tim's point again about like the trouble that'll cause for the Nancy Maces. And I think this is where Kevin McCarthy, you know, like a strong speaker, like a Nancy Pelosi would do whatever she could to protect her vulnerable members from those tough sort of votes. And Kevin McCarthy's not going to do that. And this is also, it, it brings up the point that I think is the most interesting around this motion to vacate, where any member can really like go after him. What is the thing that they didn't trust him on? Why did they feel like they needed to have control besides they're trying to wrest concessions from this guy? The main thing that they wanted was to keep him from cutting deals with Democrats. That is what that's about, yep. right? And so his maneuver room now is like all within his own caucus. Like he doesn't have a lot of opportunity to go across the aisle because that's the whole thing Chaos Caucus wanted to keep him from being able to do. They didn't want him to be able to pull that lever. And that's where all like the decent stuff is. Right. And so they don't want I, any legislation passed. Well, this is what I was going to say. Like, the thing is, is like, what did they what did they promise their constituents when they were campaigning? Investigations, mostly like woke stuff. They're going to get not have the IRS agents, which, by the way, did you see the CBO scored that IRS agent thing? And it's going to raise the deficit by like, I don't remember the number, 115 million or something like it or billion. It's like a net a net increase because we're not collecting taxes from you know, big corporations, like the idea that these IRS agents were just going to go around like busting the little guy, like, I don't know about the rest of you, it took me forever to get my return. Like they have to do the job of people's taxes. I think this was such a weird hill to die on. Like they, the scaremongering. Well, Republicans care deeply about debt and deficits as soon as they're done with the IRS agent repeal. I do care about debt and deficits. I know. I know you do. Just to be honest, in a different world, right, a more... You know, babe in the woods-ish, Tim. You might have been able to get me on the IRS agent thing. <laughs> we don't really need that many more IRS agents. Well, we could target a little more. But the more you look into it, a lot of the, it's turnover, right? Like this is funding the IRS going for 10 years. And and so, you know, we're, you're replacing a lot of existing folks. I, I think that the Democrats probably could have done, but done a better job of, of messaging it. I mean, we don't, I'm not really, I don't think we need any additional audits on, you know, people, people in the, you know, second quintile, third quintile, you know, scraping an extra couple grand out of those folks. But it, you can see why that resonates, right, as a message. Totally. You know, because it's like, oh, you know, it, it is, it's tied into the deep state stuff, right? right? It's like, it's all united, right? Which is like, if you're chip roll, you're like, all I'm saying is, I'm not letting these fucking liberal elites do anything. I'm not letting them do anything. They're not right. going to audit you. They're not going to collect your taxes. I'm going to be on their ass every time they let, uh, you know, another asylee across the border. We're not going to let them investigate Mr. Trump. You know, we're going to go look into the FBI. We're going to look into the DOJ. But like that, so that is, that is what their agenda is, right? Which is, it's not like, oh, you know, we want to reform the IRS or the tax code in order to help maximize right. your earnings. It's not that, Right. And so to that extent, these guys don't need to do anything. And I think that it's really part and parcel with kind of the investigation agenda. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. We got to move along a little bit. George Santos is in Congress. He's running away from people all through the halls. I guess the they're trying to 
try to open up the ethical stuff, not be such sticklers as to every I being dotted and every T being crossed. Is there anything else to say about this other than, like, we'll find out if he committed crime or not? Yeah, I guess so. It's funny to me how Marjorie Taylor Greene and Santos already seem to have, like, found each other a little bit. And if past is prologue, we can expect George Santos to be the key to the next speaker vote. <laughs> that he will be, like, at the center. He will be needed in order to give credibility to the pathological liar caucus. Yeah, you got to pacify those guys. I'm actually really impressed with Marge Taylor Greene. She has demonstrated over the last year that she is not content to be a grifter, that she wants to be a player, and that she wants to, to move up in Republican politics, and she wants to be somebody and do something. And she is doing all of the stuff, all of the little hard stuff, like cozy, you know, Biting down on a stick and helping Kev Bo get his speakership. And she looks perfectly thrilled about it. Yes. She does not look like it's causing her heartburn. She looks she is all in. She is assembling a power block within Congress that will belong to her. And I did not believe that she had that in her, but it's impressive. And I think it suggests that she is actually around for the long haul. I think Lauren Bobert is probably gone after this. I, I would be shocked if Republicans in her district don't force her out and uh, and beat her in a primary. She was super weak last time. She bucked the, bucked the herd this time. I think that she will not survive. But I think Marge is here for reals. Fair. Yeah, our friend Robert Draper's been on this on Marge. He sniffed out her skill, um, and, and it was a key part of his book. I'm impressed with Marge and Santos. So we're going to zag right now I, for different reasons. Just the level of sociopathy and fortitude to just sit there for a week. You know, some people were saying that like, oh, George Santos was the biggest beneficiary of this Kevin drama because it made, gave people other things to talk about besides him. I was like, I don't know. I think it might've helped George Santos to not have C-SPAN cameras running on his face 24 <laughs> I mean, seven. Like, dude, it just has to kind of sit there, have no friends, pretend to make jokes. And did you see the one image of him showing, him, showing people the meme? of Kevin McCarthy, it was, it was going around, it was like where you check all the stoplights. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh -huh. It's like you don't check Kevin. He was trying to make some friends, like the awkward kid on the bus. And, you know, he is not cracking. Dude is not cracking. He managed to get to Congress, making a completely fraudulent story. Everything about his life is a lie. And he's managing to just stick with it. And, like, game recognizes game on that front, is all I'm saying. Like, he is skilled. And I hope that he gets kicked out of Congress. I think it's a poor reflection on our system that he's there on the people of this country and on the opposition research efforts by the Democrats and on the morals of the Republicans that work for him. But like, dude is riding this out like a weaker person would just be like, you know what? I, I, don't, I can't I don't. do this. Yeah. But he is comfortable in the heat. He's walking over the hot coals. And uh, and I'm impressed with that. I'm also impressed with Marge. And just really quick on Marge. Matt Gates, I would add. I would love to see like a little heat chart of like Newsmax viewers, fave unfaves on various people. And I think that Marge is skyrocketing right now. I think that I, I do think that Gates kind of flexes his muscles. I don't think he had a bad week, but I, I think that if you just look at who both inside and outside game, I think Marge played it the best. And she's getting a glow up, right? Like in order to preserve Kevin, 
And Mona has a great piece about this in the Bulwark today, but in order to preserve Kevin, they gotta rehabilitate Marge. Cause she's a key ally of his now. And so they can't have her be the space lasers lady. Mm -hmm. And like, Mona's got some great lines in there where, you know, you saw this Howard Kurtz doing his best to just really help her put it behind her. He's like, but you know, you did say a few things like you were a, a QAnon adherent. And she was like, that was so long ago. And you're like, that was 2018. Like, this was <laughs> it only feels like it was 20 years ago. Yeah. This is not that long ago. It was how you ran for like the Parkland shooting false flag. Like this is a full on Alex Jones figure, anti-Semitic through and through, sleeping with her CrossFit structure, like just Looney Tunes. But no, Fox News has got to rehab her. But I did actually want to say on Gates, I think Gates looks like he got spanked. I think he came out of this bad. And, yeah. and there's a couple of those videos. Did you see the one where someone leans over and gets in his face and they say something to him very, very close. And he like can't move and he's kind of pinned in and he kind of like nods, but like, how to get him to, he said never, he was flexing all over the place. No, I think he looks bad. I think he came away. And like, Wuss. I I looked at his like Twitter when he said, I've, you know, eh, we should all move on, blah, blah, blah. And like everybody, his people were like, you sell out, you know, because like you take a stand, you build your brand on that and then you cave. That's bad for you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Let me, let me just make a confession to you guys. Ooh. I much prefer Marge Green to Elise Stefanik. And one of the things I'm hoping for is for Green to overtake Elise in the conference. I hope that she comes for Elise's seat in the leadership. In what way do you do you prefer Marge to Elise? Because it's more pure? Because Marge means it. Say whatever you want to. Whatever you want to say about the tenets of national socialism, at least it's an ethos, right? And Elise is just... Just pure ambition. Did you see the New York Times piece about her over the Christmas break with like literally all of her friends just saying, this is insane. Like she doesn't believe any of this stuff. It's nuts what she's doing just because she wants the brass ring. And I don't like that. I don't like phonies. I like people who actually believe the things they are saying. That's what we do with the bulwark. And, you know, we don't believe in Jewish space lasers. We tend to believe in other things. But Marge believes it and Elise doesn't. And it would be the perfect irony if Marge winds up coming for Elise. Saying what you believe is freeing and it's and you can sort of feel it in a person and their spirit. So I agree with you. Just if you put away all of the consequences, I find Marjorie Taylor Greene to be a more appealing person than Elise Stefanik. Like, I don't really find either of them particularly appealing. But, you know, if I had to go to St. Bart's for a weekend with one of them, I'd probably go with Marge over Elise. I think that Elise's ugliness is really kind of subsumed her, like in her ugliness of her soul. And I don't like it at all. That said, uh, we did just have to live through four years of a Donald Trump presidency. And I just, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I don't want to risk Marjorie Taylor Greene being any number of heartbeats away from the presidency. You know, eventually as a, as a rank and file congressperson, your responsibilities aren't really that great. But at the end of the day, I don't think that Elise is like a, you know, if she was a heartbeat away from the presidency, would be a fundamental threat to our survival. Whereas Marge, Marge, on the other hand, a little bit more of a wild card on that front. So I guess I have a mixed views on your take. Sarah? Uh, yeah, I can't. You're not going to make me choose between two different types of vile. <laughs> But like, I find Marjorie Taylor Greene to be repellent in the same way I've always found Donald Trump to be repellent, which is like on a visceral level. Mm. And I do think 
there's something about knowing that that Elise Stefanik would compromise any principle for any amount of gain. Uh, that's alarming, right? You don't want somebody like that anywhere near power. But like Marjorie Taylor Greene is actually crazy. And I loved hearing her say, as she talked about QAnon and the space laser, say, well, like many people, I was sucked into some conspiracies on the internet. That's something. So anything on the internet can get Marjorie Taylor Greene to believe it. Like, I think that's a problem. I think that judgment Lots is- Lots of people thought Hillary was a baby eater. I mean, it was yeah. on the front of magazines. It was that, well, there's that National Enquirer that wrote about it and a couple other ones. A lot of people buy those. They're at the front of the grocery store. Yeah. Right, how is any of us to figure out what's really true anyway? It's on the internet. It's on the internet. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna assign more virtue to either of them, but I think it's important to know that the two people you're talking about that would be at that high level in the conference, including the speaker himself, who was an election denier, uh, Steve Scalise, who's also an election denier, people who did not certify elections. And then you've got Marge and Elise. I mean, these are all just variations on the same really horrible theme. And so I'm not ascribing betterness to any of them. Well, you cannot be in a leadership position anywhere in the Republican Party unless you deny the results of the 2020 election, right? I want to talk a little bit about Trump and the role that he played as like an exogenous ghost presiding over this whole thing. But some of those pictures of Marjorie Taylor Greene like waving her cell phone at people and it says like DT and it's, she's like waving it at Rosendale being like, you know, Trump wants to yell at you. Watching Kevin McCarthy very specifically at the end, and I wonder when this was negotiated. Like if Trump said to Kevin, I'll back you, but when you win, first thing out of your mouth better be, Donald Trump isn't losing any altitude in the Republican Party, and I got to thank him for doing this. Because that's what old Kevin did. He didn't just say, I want to thank Donald Trump for all his help. He said, some people doubt his influence in the party, but they're wrong. Sarah, you are underestimating Kevin McCarthy because he is not very smart, but he understands those things. And I guarantee you Trump didn't need to say anything to him. Kev Bo understood exactly what he was expected to do. Sure. Okay. Right, and he 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 knew the first thing he had to do was uh, go tickle the pleasure centers of uh, of Donald. Right. So, do we think Trump was playing a role here? Like, does he get credit? Yeah. What do you think? I give him some credit. Don't you think, Tim? I don't think it was a call from Don. I mean, I think that if Donald Trump's lobbying mattered, uh, it would have mattered before vote fifteen. Mm. He could have sunk him, though. Right. I mean, I I think Trump could have have killed the McCarthy speakership. I think that's true. I think if during that overnight where it wasn't clear Kevin was like, oh, I talked to Trump and, you know, he reiterated his support for me and we were all like, did he though? And then he had a tweet the next day. It was a very yep. forceful, I'm with him. He he might be good, even great. And so I think that that did hold him steady. I think if Trump had come yep. out and torpedoed him and be like, it's over, Kevin. We need to look for somebody new. I do think that might have ended him. Yeah. It would have given cover to people who wanted to leave. To bail. Yeah. yeah. I think that's yeah. right. All right. Uh, did you guys, this is boy, a long show. Did you guys want to talk about any of the the hot fire that I have been spewing in my amazing newsletter, The Triad, which people can subscribe to at thebulwark.com? I'm not sure that I could add anything to the matchbook club allegory during a podcast form. I think that you achieved perfection in the written form Thank when you. it comes to the matchbook allegory. And I just, I'd rather direct people to that than try to, you know, adulterate it with my my own commentary. People should go give that a read. I don't know if we can put one of those floaty link things linking to that piece, but, but if we can, we should. 
Do you know how long I had to read that piece before I was like, there's no such thing as a match throwers club. <laughs> like, what is he talking about? Because <laughs> for a while, I was like, did there used to be match throwing clubs? <laughs> what this sounds like an old time thing that people would do. I've seen people throw matches. <laughs> and then and then I was like, aha. Once they started blowing up the gas stations, it got pretty clear to me that it was a, a very tortured, extensive metaphor. It's parable. A parable. There were some good fires, though. I mean, I just, you know, the cleansing fire in Chicago, really, a section I did enjoy. I also enjoyed, I, I guess Charlie wrote on this this morning, not you, but the match-throwing parable could have extended internationally also, after what we saw in Brazil this weekend. I think yeah. you could have written about how, you know, the match-throwing club has now picked up you know, some South American adherents. Why was Bannon yelling about you? There's a symbiosis, as you've heard on this podcast, between us in the Never Trump world who speak honestly about where the party is and the people who honestly like the party to be crazy, right? right? And so I think that this is a situation where I was talking about how like how pathetic it is that we couldn't rustle together five governing moderates to like try to negotiate on the rules package on the other side. And Bannon was kind of gleefully pointing out that he called me a screaming banshee, which I thought was, I didn't, I don't really feel like that's an apt metaphor for me. I don't know. More of a pearl clutcher. Yeah, pearl clutcher would have at least you know been a little clever. But he was commenting on on that. I then tried to reply to him. Now he does this on Getter on their on their platform Getter, which is owned by <laughs> Jason Miller, who doesn't pay AJ Delgado's child support. Uh, the, he's that the guy that with no chin that worked for Trump. You might remember him. Mm. And so my Getter account name is Pay Your Child Support, Jason. <laughs> and so I tried to reply to Bannon. But I don't think he realized it was me. Mm. That's too bad. You know, because it doesn't say Tim Miller. It just says pay your child support, Jason. So I, I need to figure out a different way to engage on that. I forget where this conversation started. Something about JBL's great. Oh, I was just saying that I, th I thought it was fascinating that Bolsonaro knew that he should go to the free state of Florida to hide out there while his don't call it a coup was happening down in Brazil. I mean, in fairness, there are a lot of Brazilians in Florida. I don't know how much time you spent there. So it might not have been related to DeSantis. It may have been, but. Is anybody else at all concerned that DeSantis is rubbing up against guys like Bolsarno and our Hungarian friend, Viktor Orban? Like, if we're supposed to believe, don't worry, he's secretly a normie. He is not authoritarian, curious. All this stuff about using the power of the state to punish private industry and, and individuals and stuff— that's just an act. And now he's like literally buying off the Chris Rufos and, you know, Mark Bauer lines of the world by giving them jobs in an attempt to, which, by the way, that's the kind of thing that Trump ought to be paying attention to with his non-campaign. I mean, DeSantis is literally buying conservatism Inc. out from underneath him. Yep. Just one other thing, though, on this point with DeSantis and Bolsonaro, because this is another thing that we are free to mention that that people don't like to mention in other Republican types or, or even mainstream media types like in a regular world, in a pre-Trump world, like the idea of just aspirational Republican presidential candidates throwing out there, like, don't love what Bolsonaro's doing, you know? Not great that they're storming the Capitol down there in Brazil. Disagree with that. 
like famously, like Bush in 99 flew people down to Austin or Midland or wherever he was, right, who were ex subject matter experts. And like the Democrats kind of made fun of him, right, that he had to get up to speed and learn Benazir Bhutto's name and things like this. But he was trying to. And so it was the kind of thing that then the governor of Texas might have, you know, put out a little statement on. It's like troubling what is happening in Brazil, right? Or, or you know, if Bolsonaro had moved to a state would be like, you know, not really thrilled with the authoritarian efforts. Nothing. We stand against violence in democracies. Yeah, but they can't do that. They can't, they can't do, do that. that right now because they can't condemn it there because they can't condemn it here. Those are their voters. No lip service, not even lip service yes. to it. And, and my, my point is like, would it even hurt them? Yes. Like, like they're all so cowardly. Yes, it would hurt them. No, no. If you want to run for president, if somebody put out one tweet that's like, I don't love what Bolsonaro is up to right now. I, you know, I think he should go home to Brazil. Nobody's going to give a shit about that. No way. That's putting a target on your back from the entire Breitbart uh, entertainment complex. Because I you know, bet you anything those guys are making money from Bolsonaro. And uh, Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro. Yeah. I, Bolsonaro. Why? Yeah. I was... Anyway, I, I just think that, and especially if you think you want a future in leadership in the Republican world, you cannot touch that stuff at all. There is no percentage in it for you. Yeah, and also, like, they had CPAC in Hungary. Like, they brought Orban to speak. Tucker's, like, all about Orban. Like, they are seeking out these authoritarians. And so now there's a wing of the party that has to be pacified or mollified or whatever that DeSantis knows in a, that's how you, you got to choke those people off from Trump early. And so he'll play footsie with them. Sure. Come to the free state of Florida. Just a little girl talk here. Been a long show. Just a little girl talk though. You mentioned our friend Matt Schlapp and I totally agree with what you're saying on Orban, by the way, but it sparked another thought. Did you see this week that Matt Schlapp opened for Trump at Mar-a-Lago? He put on the, the penguin suit, went down to Mar-a-Lago and gave some remarks and, that's Did he drive like, himself from the airport? If I know anything about Donald Trump, he's a gossip. You know, it's, it seems like the kind of thing he probably he probably brought up, don't you think? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I was intrigued. I, I guess I, I'm not. I don't really usually care about the palace intrigue about what's happening with the Cougars in Mar-a-Lago and want the you know want the 18 anonymous quotes to Michael Bender of the New York Times about like who hates who right now inside Trump world. But I'd, I'd be a little bit interested in, in uh, what kind of chatter Trump had about his about his opening act. So I was surprised because do you do you remember how the conservatism Inc. class turned Trump against Josh Mandel in Ohio? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Trump did not want to endorse J.D. Vance, but the, he got turned off because they were like, you know, weird sex stuff. The other guys into some weird sex stuff. And yeah. Trump was like, Ugh, pervert. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like Shark Week with hookers. Not normal, red-blooded Americans just wanting to watch Shark Week with a hooker, okay? That's what Trump likes. I am shocked that Trump didn't view the schlap stuff and think, hmm. <laughs> no? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think he had to. I mean, maybe it was already scheduled. Just, I don't know. I, I think that there was probably some interesting shatter at the head table that evening. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know, I hear that Hungary is a good place to go find yourself. If you are a conservative who is just having some feelings and, uh, you know, don't quite know how you could achieve certain sort of things, then uh, you can go to Hungary and, uh, and you know, really do some explorations. Maybe Matt Schlapp should go there. You know, that's funny about Matt Schlapp. I would say... It could be 
there haven't been that many, uh, any big wigs in the Republican Party who've wanted to hang out with Trump lately. You know, uh, this weird floor fight where he was like on the cell phone is the last, and like truthing occasionally is the most we've really seen of him and anybody paying attention to him, right? There's actually been a lot of distancing from him. So it strikes me as interesting that Matt Schlapp, in a moment of distress, might be like, mm, I should go down to Mar-a-Lago. And, and Trump was like, yeah, you can come because nobody else is coming. And <laughs> Moment of weakness, right? I don't know. Like that no pun found... intended. <laughs> no, that, no, no this pun is intended. How, right. This is how he did it the first time. It, right. He called the Island of Misfit Toys to him, right? Yeah. Everybody who was weak went to Trump for, literally because of their own weakness, right? And he gathered them together into his little troll army. And, uh, you know, you people out there who think it absolutely can't happen again— I don't know that I would make that bet. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not betting he's a sure thing. But we have seen this movie before. We have. All right. Uh, good show. Incredibly long show. Uh, go go read my news. It's down in the description. Go click and read it. It is a a work of staggering genius. Uh, and if you are in Seattle or Los Angeles, come hang out with us next week. It's going to be awesome. I'm really excited. Uh, and do either of you have anything else before we get out of here today? No, come to L.A. I'm so excited. We're going to have so much fun in L.A. and Seattle. I'm giddy with anticipation. And one other thing really quick. If you are going to a school tour and you're a parent, mm -hmm. you get two mm -hmm. questions. Okay, you get two or three questions. All right, that's it. Okay, have some respect for the rest of the crew. This seems unrelated to a great many things. It's just something that's been on my mind today. I was on a two-hour long school tour where the parents were asking people how they decide the, the songs or the class music. Well, this isn't even like a college tour. This is for like six-year-olds. Kindergarten. Kindergarten tour. Uh. The questions are, do they learn their letters? Do they learn their numbers? Is the teacher nice? Yeah, great. Kindergarten. That is not what I experienced today. That's all. What is your grading system like? Are you weighting their grades? Uh, class rank, where do your kindergartners go on to? Can I have a list of the first grades that they are accepted to after this kindergarten, please? <laughs> what is your syllabus? When do you start them on the ancient Greek? <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.